Good evening. Um, if you all will turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> We're continuing in our sermons, uh, Sermon on the Mount series this evening, and uh, we've been in this series for a long time, and it's, it's been a, a long, but it's been a fruitful series. Um, and it's, it's kind of walked through and covered a number of different aspects of the Christian life, um, and it's encouraging, and we're, we're excited to continue in that. So Matthew chapter 7, um, as y'all are turning there, this past week Eden just turned one year old. Um, it is crazy to me to think that just a year ago we were um, in the hospital and, and had her and I uh, got to hold her for the very first time. And so, I mean, truly, it's, I never would have predicted just how much I would love this little girl, um, even, if, even if you told me. And people did tell me, but it's just um, so great. And, and lately, we've been watching her get closer and closer to walking. Um, she's pulling up on things now. Um, and so right now, she, she's currently in this, like, weird in-between phase where she can't walk, but she's figured out how to get up on her knees. And so now she's, she's getting sitting upright on her knees um, and, and then she's doing this like shuffle thing with like really slowly on her knees and that's kind of her pseudo walking right now and um, that way she's got hands free um, which is a dangerous thing. Um, she's grabbing everything and she's got a toy in one hand. She's smacking our dogs in the mouth in the other hand which is her favorite thing to do right now, um, terrorizing our dogs. Um, but so, so that's actually led to one, one of uh, probably my favorite moments as a dad. So I often work closes, work nights, get home around like 9 o'clock, um, and I get off, and I come home, and I open the door, and she sees me, and she sits up on her knees, and she squeals with hands out and starts shuffling towards me with the biggest smile on her face. And no matter what has gone on in the day, no matter how long the day has been, how frustrating it's been, always, always, always I run to her with joy, and I pick her up, and I hug her. And I squeeze her because I love my daughter. And not only do I love my daughter and I love to embrace her, but I long to embrace her. Man, I long to get home and squeeze that little bitty body up against me. And so our passage tonight is going to center around prayer, but it's important for us to know going into this sermon, going into this text, that it's not about fulfilling a duty. But this, this is about praying, and it's about communicating with your heavenly Father, your heavenly Father that loves you more than you could ever imagine. So let's read our passage for tonight. This is Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Let's pray. God, I pray tonight um, that you would, you would speak through your word. You have and you are continually speaking into the lives of your sons and your daughters. And tonight, God, um, I pray that I am just, um, just a, a means of proclaiming the truth that's already here. 
Um, God, would you take my, my broken words, my broken analogies and phrases, God, would you use them in such a way to build up your church? And God, I pray that you would build me up. You know how often I struggle with this. God, would you remind me time and time again, remind us just how good of a father you are. God, I long to embrace my earthly father who's not here, but oh, you tell me that your embrace is so much better. And so God, would you teach me, would you teach us to come to you in prayer, to ask, to seek, and to knock. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so if you all have been following along in our Sermon on the Mount series, then, then you might have noticed that this is, now, this is now the second time that Jesus has brought up prayer. Um, and in fact, it actually kind of appears that, uh, that the sermon that Jesus is preaching here in Matthew is actually being broken up into two sections by his teachings on prayer. Um, and so if you all will, let's flip over just for a second. Uh, let's flip over to chapter 5 of Matthew. So just a couple pages. And let's kind of take um, an aerial look here at the structure of the sermon that Jesus is preaching. So chapter 5, you see he's, he's preaching through the Beatitudes. He's preaching about having this attitude uh, as believers. Um, he's teaching about being salt and light in a dark, dark world. Um, he's teaching on, on living according to the scriptures. Um, and then here he kind of rapid fire. He's teaching on lust, on anger, on divorce, on marriage. He's teaching on keeping your word, on loving your enemies, on giving to the needy. And then we get over here to chapter 6. Um, and then he, he kind of pauses to teach, to teach us how to pray. And that's, this, is kind of where, this is where we get the Lord's Prayer that often we all know and have memorized and like to recite. Um, but look what he says here in, in 6, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Look what he says here. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray like this. And he goes on with the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus is shifting gears here to remind and encourage his followers to take time away from the crowds, uh, in private, in secret, and praying to your heavenly Father, and to take comfort knowing that he knows your needs even before you ask them. Let's keep going. So keep going in chapter 6. Jesus teaches about, um, he teaches about fasting. He teaches about letting go of, of earthly goods, about laying up treasures in heaven, he teaches on anxiety and letting go of those anxieties. And, and then he speaks on when to judge our brothers in Christ and when not to judge our brothers. And when to speak up and when not to speak up. And then he gets it here again to this teaching on prayer. And in our passage here um, in chapter 7, he's, he's specifically pre- uh, teaching people that God hears and answers our prayers. So Why? What is Jesus doing? Why is he breaking up these two chunks of the Sermon on the Mount by sections on prayer? I think what he's doing is he's teaching us to seek the Father. He's reminding us to seek the Father in prayer, and this is how we begin to distill, apply, and live out his words. There's something happening in prayer. How are we to be salt that doesn't lose its flavor, or how are we to live according to all that the Scripture commands? Uh, we're to fall on our knees and we're to seek the Lord. How are we to know when to speak up, when to judge our brothers, when to be, when to be quiet, when to not judge? He's saying, 
fall on your knees. Seek the wisdom of the Lord. Seek his guidance. See, prayer, uh, listen to me here, prayer is more than just a complaint hotline to God. It's more than that. It's a powerful tool by which God, uh, our loving Father, is flourishing your faith. He's building you up. He's teaching. And so let's dive into um, our passage here a little bit further. Let's look at our text tonight. Verse 7 says this, chapter 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So this is the second time that he instructs believers to pray. This is, this is not the full extent of Jesus' view or theology on prayer and, and what he wants us to know. He obviously goes into, he teaches a lot more on this, about praying in, in faith and, and praying according to God's will. But he does do this a second time to stress the importance um, of prayer. And so in this specific passage, he's going to use three different types of, of praying and um, we can kind of see this here. They're all different facets of the same thing. Ask. So make your petitions known to the Lord. This is kind of what we just did, right? We, we brought up our prayer request. Uh, we ask God. Uh, we make petitions before him. Secondly, we seek. Searching for wisdom. Searching for knowledge. Uh, searching for blessings. Searching for things that only God can provide. He's the only source of these things. Uh, knock. Now, this one's different. We often don't think of knocking as a type of, of prayer, but one commentator says, and I feel like this was inter- interesting, is that this is implying that they are before a door that they cannot open themselves. And so knock here is a type of prayer um, that we are asking God to show up and do what only God can do. And so we could try to dissect these different types of, of prayer, but I think they're just that. They're different types. They're different facets of the same Thing, the same call that Jesus is giving. And so why is he calling us? Why is he calling us to pray? And so I think uh, we have to ask maybe, was the first teaching on prayer not good enough? Did he not uh, bring enough fire to convince the disciples to pray or to convince his followers to, to abide in his teaching? No, that's not it at all. But what Jesus is doing here is he's making his way back to prayer because he understands the human heart and he knows just how quick we are to be sidetracked, to get sidetracked. Jesus is making another call to us to seek the Lord in prayer because the opposite is true. If we do not seek the Lord, then we will not find. Uh, It makes me think of uh, when I was a kid, I used to play a game up and we used to go on our family, we still do actually, we go up to Indiana and we do our camping tri- trips and one Memorial Day and one Labor Day and it's up in a big old farm up in Indiana, up in the hills. And so when we were young, we had I mean, just a whole bunch of cousins, like I feel like 15 or 20 kids. Um, and so we would always play manhunt every night. Once it got dark, we would play manhunt. So that's like hide and seek but with teams, right? So it was a home base and the, the issue was is it gets really dark and really creepy. If you've never been out in the woods when it's like pitch black and there's no city lights around at all, it gets a little scary. At least it was for me, and I'll I'll admit that to you all. Um, It used to scare me to death. And so I would always kind of run through uh, when I was searching for these, because my cousins knew that, and they would always hide in like the scariest places, knowing I wasn't going to look there. And so they're like hiding behind these trees and these ditches, and always kind of, you know, run through without actually stopping to search for the people there that I'm trying to search for the opposing team. And so I think, and this makes me think, are, are, are troubling situations, 
Are hard times keeping us from coming to the Lord in prayer? Have problems in your marriage or financial troubles or busyness? Have they kept you from crying out to your heavenly Father? Or maybe it's simply negligence. You haven't sought the Lord because you just haven't felt like it. And if we are not seeking the Lord in prayer, then how do we expect to find him in our lives? Think about a football team. We're almost at the Super Bowl. How can a football team be expected to win if they refuse to look at their coach for instructions, for plays, for calls? We are foolish if we believe that our faith will increase while we are refusing to ask and to seek and to knock before the Lord. And so why is Jesus calling us to pray? Because no, no call is so simple and well-known as prayer, but yet so unpracticed. Everyone knows what prayer is. Even people that are outside of the church that, that are lost that aren't Christians, they know what prayer is. They know what it looks like. They know roughly what happens. You, you put your hands together. They're, they're talking to God. Um, but yet there's, there's this interesting thing here where we reserve prayer for this, this thing that we only do on Sunday mornings. It's what we do scattered throughout our orders of service, and um, maybe we do it you know, at lunch after church. And prayer's failed to penetrate our daily lives. And the reality is this should never be the case. This should never be the case. Faith and conversion are, are birthed from prayer. If you think about when you came to know the Lord, you, you were kind of overwhelmed by the reality of your sin. You're overwhelmed by uh, just how, how lost and helpless you were, um, how holy God was, and then God revealed his, his, his love to you and what he has done through Christ and the cross, and you have this overwhelming sense of, of hope and joy, and what do we do? We cry out. We cry out. We pray to God. Oh, God, forgive me of my sins. We cry out, we seek, and we, we, we seek the Lord's sweet love and mercy, and we knock that God would open the gates to eternal life. Now, prayer is a natural response, a natural response for believers, because through Christ, we have a relationship with our Father, and a relationship demands communication. Oddly enough, though, sin just keeps creeping in. And then we begin to think that we don't need to cry out, or not as much, or not as often, or maybe not at all. It's interesting. And so one commentator, J.C. Ryle, he says this, do we know anything of this asking, of this seeking, knocking? Why should we not? There is nothing so simple and plain as praying if a man really has a will to pray. But, he says, there is nothing unhappily which men are so slow to do. That we use many other forms of religion, attend many ordinances, do many things that are right before they will do this. And yet, he says, without this, no soul can be saved. So why does Jesus call us to ask, to seek, to knock? Because our good heavenly Father longs to embrace us, to teach us, to bless us, to flourish our faith into practice. 
So our first point tonight, as we just saw, is the call, the call to prayer. He goes on in verse eight. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. The second point that this text teaches us about prayer is the promise of prayer. Jesus takes verse seven and he tweaks it just a little bit to emphasize the answer. He takes the hypothetical and he makes it real. The one praying receives, finds, opens. Jesus is promising here that our Father in heaven answers prayers. What a glorious thought. And so I think for a second, we need to to pause here because there's a lot to unpack. And we need to kind of slow up for just a second um, before we get too carried away here. And I think it would be helpful for us to talk about what this text means, what this specific verse 8 and 7 and 8 mean, and what they don't mean. So what it doesn't mean, um, unfortunately, is that God doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we have control over God. That's not an unfortunate thing, but if you're sitting here thinking, well, I'm going to pray for a million dollars, then, you know, wait a second, okay? So if, if, uh, if you do this, then I'll do this. So this is often kind of the Hollywood portrayal of prayer. We have um, the movies that show the, the man sitting out in the emergency room praying, God, if you, if you save this person, then I'll do this. I'll go to church. Um, I'll give all my money away or whatever else. So it's common, uh, kind of a common thing that we see portrayed for prayer. Um, another, one, another good example of this is um, if I do this act for God, then he'll have to give me blank. Um, so this is kind of manipulation of God through our good deeds. And we often kind of see this, this is kind of a, the nugget of prosperity gospel. If we pray long enough and hard enough about something, um, then, then God, will, God will heal my dad. And believe me, I've been there. I've struggled through that. That, that is not what this text is saying. This text also doesn't mean that God will give us anything that we want. So similar but kind, but kind of different here. So if you are here and you're asking, if you've already started praying for a million dollars, I hate to burst your bubble. It's probably not how this is going to play out. Um, but... Uh, what the crucial issue with these is understanding that they undermined God's sovereignty. It takes the creator of the whole universe and it brings him down to a genie. And if God is under our control and forced to give us anything we want, then as John Piper says, then what we've done is we've made ourselves God. Now God is under our control. Okay, so that's what it doesn't mean. What does it mean? What does this text mean here? I think it means that God, and know that it means that God hears our prayers. So think about that. Think about that truth for just a second. God in heaven, the holy God, righteous God, creator of everything, he hears your prayers. We can't just skip past that. We can't just move along. The fact that... uh, the fact that God Almighty hears us and he's made you a child of God and he's given you his ear, his love, his affection, it's unbelievable. And your cries, when you cry out, they don't fall on deaf ears, but he hears and he knows the deepest cries of our hearts. It also means that God will answer our prayers according to his sovereignty. Again, think about that. God is not a God that can't act, that can't do anything. He's not an immobile God. But he's a God that hears our cries and he answers them for our good and for his glory. 
And now, whether you admit it or not, I know there's some people that are, that are pushing against that. Um, Joseph, I, he, God has not answered all of my prayers. And the ones that he hasn't answered haven't turned out um, too good for me. And I understand that. I get that. I, I, I sympathize with that plea. And I know that because my wife and I and my family and my mom, we prayed for five years that my dad would be healed. I mean, he passed away in November. But the reality is, is that now he is healed. Now MSA can no longer touch him. And better than that, neither can sin. And although God doesn't always answer our prayers in the way that we hope, he doesn't always move as quickly as we would like him to, our heavenly father does hear and he does answer our prayers. What a glorious truth. We may never see or fully understand those answers, this side of heaven, but we can rest assured that our heavenly father hears. He acts and he answers. We can trust Jesus' words here in chapter 7. And so we're left with this simple imperative. Ask and you will receive. Are we asking? Do we believe that our prayers really work? God hears that he's doing something about it? I know uh, many times early on, especially with my, my dad's disease five, six years ago when we, when we heard about it, um, I struggle with this. Do we believe that? I, I, I struggle with the power of prayer. Why wasn't it working? Why isn't God listening? I doubted. But listen to what D.A. Carson writes. One man may truly be an industrious man and yet poor in temporal things. So a man can be a hard worker, a diligent worker, can be a successful man, smart, capable One can truly be an industrious man and yet poor in temporal things. Well, listen to what he says here. But one cannot be a truly praying man and yet poor in spiritual things. Prayer is infinitely enriching. It accomplishes all that God's good, God's good and perfect will for your life. It's a great, glorious truth in this text. We can't miss it. So God calls us to prayer. God promises to hear and to answer our prayers. But how can we be certain that God hears? How can we be certain that he answers? How can we truly believe without a doubt? The final point in this text tonight is the proof. The call, the promise, and now the proof. He goes on to say in verse 9, Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? These verses are absolutely essential to understanding the call and the promise to prayer. In fact, um, I would go as far as to say that no one can truly understand Jesus' call here and his promise that he will hear and answer if we don't first understand that God is a good, perfect, loving father to us. Jesus knows this, and so he builds his proof about God's fatherly love for us from lesser to greater. 
Eden squeals and reaches out for me because she has no doubt that her daddy loves her. That her daddy will come and scoop her up and shower her with hugs and kisses. She has no doubt that when the time comes that he will provide food for her, clothe her, put her in a bed. She has no fear that I will turn her away or that I will reject her embrace because she knows her daddy loves her. And listen to me, I am the furthest thing from a perfect father. Even wretched, wicked, sinful, hateful people know how to give good gifts to their children. No parent is gonna scoff or mock the knees of their child. That's not how it works. They're not gonna deny them food and watch them suffer. And in fact, if we think about our society and and what uh, happens, we, we take those parents away. The ones that do that, even the watching world, the government says, no, absolutely not. Or, uh, and if you think about uh, maybe even Christmas, so every year parents spend hundreds of dollars uh, in, in order to lavish their kids with good gifts because they love them. And if our world understands the importance of parental love, if our world understands provision, how much more is our Heavenly Father? If even a broken and a sinful dad knows how to listen to his daughter, then surely you can trust your perfect heavenly father uh, and trust him that he hears you when you cry, when you ask, when you seek, when you knock. So how can you know that your father in heaven loves you? Look at the cross. Look at what Jesus endured, not only for, for you to be forgiven of your sins, but for you to be made sons and daughters of God. This sermon hinges on that. This text hinges on that. We will never be able to understand prayer or, or be able to understand that, that, have the confidence that God hears and answers our cries if we don't first know and believe what Christ has done. That Jesus, the one true son of God, died in our place so that through faith, as Galatians 6 teaches us, that we might be, become sons and daughters of God. All our sins forgiven. Jesus, through his, through his death, has replaced our old dead hearts with new ones filled with the Holy Spirit. And so because of his death, his resurrection, we can now be adopted as sons and daughters, as children of our Father. Brothers, sisters, let the reality of your adoption, let that lead you to bow, to seek, to ask, to knock before your heavenly Father. If you're already in the habit of consistent prayer, then continue on in faith. Know that God is listening, that he is answering your prayers, that he is growing you through them. If you believe in Christ, but but you've struggled with that, 
Um, you've struggled to make a prayer a, a consistent part, a consistent priority in your life, then hear the call of Jesus and repent. Repent knowing that your heavenly Father is waiting to forgive you and embrace you, to hear you. Or if you're here tonight and you haven't experienced a new life, you haven't experienced a new heart that comes through faith in Christ, then I would encourage you to look to the cross. See the work of Jesus crucified on the cross, buried in the grave and risen to life for the forgiveness of sins. See his work. Believe that he is the Lord. Are you asking? Are you seeking? Are you knocking before the Lord in prayer? Let's pray. God, I, I ask you to, um, to continue to grow our church. God, I do believe our church loves to pray. God, I, I believe that your text shows that we love to pray because we have a good understanding of who you are as our God, our, our Heavenly Father, and what you've done for us in Christ to make that possible. But God, so often I choose to rely on myself and not lean on you. God, will we be a people? Will we be husbands? Will we be wives? Will we be children? Will we be coworkers, church members? Will we be servants that are known for falling on our knees and crying out to our Lord, to our God, to our Father in heaven, asking him, making our petitions known to him, seeking his knowledge, seeking your wisdom, God, in our lives and knocking before you to show up and do what only you can do to make your name great. God, would you continue to grow and flourish our faith. In Jesus Christ, we pray.